Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. On election day in November, just like any other election day, residents were lined up to cast ballots. Is there anybody here who has their voter registration card? But unlike every other election, last year's followed the state's redistricting process. It only takes place every 10 years, and it reconfigured voting districts in an attempt to make each district more representative. But if you ask some folks from Detroit, the new districts had the opposite effect. They're taking power away from the citizens of Detroit and saying, we, don't, we can't pick our leadership. Redistricting brought monumental change to state government, playing a big role in how Democrats reached their historic majority in the state legislature. But that may have come at a cost to Detroit's representation in Lansing and in Washington. Detroit, the largest majority black city in the country and the largest city in the state, lost black representation at all levels of government. I think it's, it's racist at its core. That the people in power intentionally have a set agenda not to allow blacks, particularly in Detroit, to gain any sound foundation. Black Democrats in Detroit will say they've basically made it so that suburban voters are going to overwhelm the Detroit vote in these districts. With that loss, the shifted control of the legislature and a Detroit Dem slated to be the first black House speaker in Michigan's history, it begs the question. How will the perspective of Detroiters be included going forward? As long as they do the right thing for our people, and that's the minority or the people that need it, like me, I'm okay with it. You could be red, black, green, suburbs, I don't care. On this episode, we talk with Free Press Report for America Corps member Clara Hendrickson about Detroit's representation, how we got here, what it all means, and how officials can ensure Detroit voices get heard. It's not really a big thing about um, race. Just do your job. That doesn't mean you have to be black. You just have to be here. I'm Carrie Jr. the second, and this is on the line. You didn't want to do a hi this time. Hi. No, I'm just. Oh. Teasing. <laughs> hey. Last time you were like, "Hey, I'm Clara." Greetings. Greetings. <laughs> if you've listened to on the line at all, I'm betting you know frequent flyer on our podcast, Clara Hendrickson. So it's the start of the new year. Everyone's sort of getting back into the swing of things at work, including state lawmakers. And they'll have their first session day on January 11. She stopped by this time to talk about who's not in the room in Lansing this session. With those primaries in the aftermath, it was pretty clear Detroit was going to have a decrease in black representation, although they were expected to increase overall representation um, in the state legislature. And it's going to look different than it had in, in years past. Can you explain what changed after the election in the state chambers and then also what changed at the U.S. level? Yeah. So you have the number of state legislative districts that are running through the city of Detroit. That has increased. So there are going to be more state lawmakers who hail from a district that includes some portion of the city of Detroit. But at the same time, the number of 
lawmakers who actually live in the city of Detroit is going to decrease in this upcoming session. And overall, the number of black Detroiters in the state legislature has seen a decrease. And then for the first time in U.S. Congress, you're going to have the city of Detroit, which is the nation's largest majority black city, not being represented by a black person for the first time in nearly 70 years. Okay, so there's it's twofold. There's how many candidates are representing the city of Detroit. And then there's how many candidates that are representing the city who are actually from Detroit. Yeah, absolutely. It's a majority of the Detroit caucus, which includes any member that represents a part of Detroit coming from the suburbs rather than the city of Detroit. And of course, we saw two other big changes with the election. Democrats securing both state houses for the first time since the 80s and a Detroit lawmaker leading one of them. I want to get to that in a minute um, and ask you a few questions on how that all ties in. But briefly, what are the specific losses in Black Detroiter representation? What changed? Sure. So I'll start with the congressional level. We'll have two representatives who are not Black, but who live in Detroit, Shri Thanadar and Rashida Tlaib. The Michigan Senate is going from having five lawmakers from Detroit, including four Black Detroiters, to now having two lawmakers from the city, and only one of whom, State Senator Sylvia Santana, is Black. The other is State Senator Stephanie Chang, who won the Detroit vote in her primary. The Michigan House took a little bit less of a hit. So this all came as a result of the process, or redistricting, the process that takes place every 10 years to draw new districts. Can you talk a little bit about that and the dynamics of that, particularly with Detroit? So when the commission sat down to draw the lines, what their experts told them was that the districts that ran through the city of Detroit concentrated Black voters and limited their influence to only a handful of districts where the candidate would win with like 80 or 90 percent of the vote. So there wasn't real competition. And so what the commission set out to do was kind of unpack the Detroit vote. And so the result was you had these kinds of districts that look like spokes on a wheel coming out of a bicycle, long, skinny districts that include neighborhoods in Detroit that run through the suburbs. And that means that there was a lower share of black voters in the district than what had been in place previously. And their voting rights experts said um, that this could create an opportunity to potentially expand Detroit's influence. But what black Democrats in Detroit will say is that They've basically made it so that suburban voters are going to overwhelm the Detroit vote in these districts. These are all the issues that are at play right now in a pending lawsuit over whether or not the commission complied with federal voting rights requirements. I see. I see. And then can you explain like the the requirements? Sure. So the Federal Voting Rights Act prohibits districts that deny voters belonging to protected racial minorities an opportunity to elect their preferred candidates. One thing that you have to do when you're trying to comply with the Voting Rights Act is an analysis of racial voting patterns. The problem is that there's a lack of data about what happens in primaries. Did they look at turnout numbers? It was factored in in a final report that they reviewed at the last minute after they had drawn all their draft districts and right before they voted on it. 
So Detroit Democrat Joe Tate being the House Speaker, can you just fill us in a little bit on who Joe Tate is, a little bit of his background? Yeah, so Joe Tate is a Detroit Democrat. He used to be a football player at Michigan State University, and he is going to be the the first black man to lead the chamber. And he's the first speaker from Detroit since 1998. And the the House Speaker is the presiding officer of the chamber, so they play a really key role in shaping legislative priorities and what bills even come to the floor and what gets a vote, maintaining unity in their party's caucus, but also trying to build bipartisan consensus and winning over some folks from the other party to support measures that you know they want to see action on. I know in your reporting ahead of the election, you heard a lot of people really concerned about the consequences of Detroit's loss of representation. So considering all of those duties, does Tate's leadership role change the perspective on how much Detroiters' views will be represented and protected? Yeah, so I talked to some folks who were really disappointed in the loss in Detroit representation following the primary. But when they saw that Democrats chose Joe Tate to be the next House Speaker, they thought that, you know, this is actually something that could really make sure that Detroit issues have a seat at the table. At the same time, there are still concerns about the districts that run through Detroit. After the break... A look at what the Democratic takeover means in all of this, the issues at stake, and what those in office make of the loss. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back speaking with Detroit Free Press and Report for America reporter Clara Hendrickson about the loss of representation for black Detroiters. What about the surprise takeover of the Democratic Party? How does that play into the representation of the city of Detroit? Yeah, so there are definitely some folks who see Democratic majorities alone, regardless of Detroit's representation, as opening a new door for the city's priorities in Lansing that may have been sidelined when Republicans controlled the chamber. I think it's also important to note that Marshall Bullock, who lost his Democratic primary to Mallory McMorrow, a black Detroiter losing his state legislative race to a, a white woman from the suburbs, he is actually going to be serving as the new director of government affairs in Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan's administration. Mm. So he'll be working with federal and state lawmakers to secure funding and support for Detroit's priorities. For folks who saw really dire consequences following the August primary, a lot of them sort of felt a renewed sense of optimism with the selection of Joe Tate as speaker. And at the same time, if it is the case that the districts violate the ability of Black Detroiters to elect their preferred candidates, then you know, any sort of selection in leadership or Democrats holding a majority, you know, that's not a panacea to that underlying concern about voting rights and representation of the the districts and the communities that they encompass. You can't legislate what you don't know. And, you know, you can't legislate on experiences or theory. That's Chris McLean, a former Lansing staffer. 
He has worked in Michigan politics in some capacity over the last decade. There are concerns that Democrats alone, just that that partisan affiliation isn't enough to necessarily reflect the needs of a particular community, in this case, the black community in Detroit. You know, somebody might have a great idea in a book they read once, but at the same time, you know, you really have to talk to people who have lived it, who have that that real experience and, and, and on the ground know-how of just what living life is like. I spoke to one political science professor at University of Michigan who studies race and representation in American politics, and he said that Political science research has shown that black and Latino legislators at the state level and the federal level, on average, are just more likely to vigorously defend minority interests. What are some of those interests on the line in Detroit? There are definitely concerns that this is going to have an impact on a range of issues. Making sure that, you know, housing is affordable, economic needs, you know, basically high paying jobs that people are actually able to um, secure stability for themselves, equitable economic development, those kind of quality of life issues, health care, access to that, making sure that people have, you know, the adequate amount of, of quality choices, you know, that, that are out there for them to make sure that they're living a healthy and strong life. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the list is many. Issues that have sort of come up in conversations. One is the issue of schools and what schools in Detroit look like versus schools in the suburbs and disparities and resources and funding. Another key issue that came up, too, was until recently, Detroit had gone from being a majority homeowner city to a majority renter city. And that makes it kind of stand out in terms of the surrounding suburban communities. I want to drill down here for a second because, you know, we've talked about the dire concerns that were had over the loss of representation, but then some optimism about Tate and the Democratic majority. Does Tate's selection help alleviate that concern? He's going to be playing a really big role in shaping the legislative agenda. And because he is from Detroit, you know, ostensibly he'll He'll do a a good job of making sure Detroit priorities are included in in the legislative agenda for Democrats in the in this upcoming session. At the same time, he's one lawmaker. He gets one vote. So even though he has all that power, there's going to be some negotiations about what the Democratic agenda is going to be. We have to understand it's going to be counter to whatever other perspectives from across the state will be included in that. Yeah, absolutely. Agenda. And it, I think that's yeah. such an important point because. These are really fragile majorities that Democrats won. They only have a two-seat majority in both chambers. And Democrats won in part by prevailing in districts that are highly competitive. And so they're going to be thinking about their re-election chances and what every vote that they take means for their ability to win re-election and maintain a Democratic majority two years from now. How are these new leaders working to bridge the gap with Detroiters? Are they? And, and what do we know about grassroots efforts trying to make connections with these new representatives? So I think time will tell when it comes to some of this. Folks coming into office, starting to build their, their policy positions, they're building out their relationships. And at the same time, when it comes to grassroots organizations and efforts in Detroit, them starting to make those connections with the new lawmakers. I think it's our obligation for us core Detroiters who will still be part a part of the Detroit caucus 
to have meetings in certain areas in the city to educate our new colleagues or the colleagues that are now representing areas that they have no knowledge of. That's Michigan House of Representative Tyrone Carter, already a member of the House who served as vice chair of the Detroit caucus. He was elected in November to represent the newly drawn 1st District. And I look for the organizations in those areas for us to have those meetings as well in those areas to let them know that, hey, you represent us. These are our needs. I'd love to see, you know, people from the community and people of color and people who are in community who are, you know, not just answering the phones. Chris McLean again. Who are actually, you know, not just receptionists, people who have influence and and delivery of services and also policy choices um, and and real um, governance assistance that actually empower people in, in serious ways. So we have to be brutally honest about representation and what it means to Detroiters. And the fear that many Detroiters have now that somebody who has no connection to their city represents them. It's almost like going on trial and you sit up in the courtroom and you're about to get arraigned and you've never met your attorney. And then all of a sudden you say, okay, District 6, and a guy shows up and says, yeah, I'm here to represent you. You don't know anything about me. Let's have a conversation and get to know me before you represent me. Detroit is one of the most segregated cities in the entire nation. You have suburban communities and suburban political leaders who have tried to distance themselves from Detroit, who have have been opposed to efforts to share resources with the city. So that is that is a history that is very much on at the top of mind when when people think about now having suburban lawmakers representing the city. But I think there's there's one example from the campaign trail that potentially speaks to, one, an acknowledgement. Mallory McMorrow, state senator who won in a Detroit-based district against Marshall McBullock, and she told my colleague that she was at one pop-up event where a black woman from Detroit asked her directly, how should we know that we can trust you? You're a white woman from the suburbs. And Mallory McMorrow said that she told this woman, you can't right off the bat. But you should be skeptical of every person who's running to represent you. I can tell you who I am and how I operate. And and what have you heard from the black political officials who have to navigate this? So State Senator Sylvia Santana will be the only black Detroiter in the state Senate. I spoke to her right after the primary. And here's what she told me. She said, there's always a higher level of expectation being a black person in this country But being in the state Senate and being one of the only members who lives in Detroit, that expectation just became much more heavier. It sounds like she feels like she's going to be carrying now the load of of all the expectations of everything that people want to get done. That's what she said when I asked her, how is it going to feel if you have to take a sick day and you can't Uh, show up to take a vote? There's not going to be a single black Detroiter in Lansing voting on key issues that are going to impact the city. You know, these redistricting lines don't get redrawn for another 10 years. Have you spoken to folks who've made maybe a longer term strategy for Detroit and how to get their voices and issues heard? There are lessons to be learned from this first cycle. You might see different 
different types of candidates vying to win these Detroit districts. You could see instead of like a really crowded field, maybe groups coming together and like building consensus around one candidate. Mm -hmm. Um, You could see folks trying to get more people to turn out and vote in the primaries because that is really where in these highly Democratic districts where the election really gets decided. So we could just see a kind of different style of political campaigning come out over the next, you know, several election cycles. Claire Hendrickson, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was produced by me, Darcy Moran, and Robin Chan. Executive producers Anjanette Delgado and Marianne Struman, and Peter Batia is our editor. The music for the show is by DJ Lost Boy and it's called Fort Trumbull. That's Fort Street and Trumbull Street, in case you haven't gotten that by now. And don't forget to share the show with your friends and family and come back and see us next week. See you then. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.